created live on Fireside. Welcome, I'm Laura Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you can be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. Today's guest is author Riley Tuggle. Riley is the author of My Voice Matters and The Trusted Trio. Other book titles include Helping Paws, A Day in the Life of a Service Dog, and My Hidden Difference makes me special. She received her master's of education in curriculum and instruction from the University of Arizona with a specialization in applied behavior analysis. She is a licensed board certified behavior analysis focusing on teaching skill acquisition of healthy and safe replacement behaviors and caregiver education. Tuggle is an advocate for service animals, chronically ill and or disabled individuals, and those who have experienced trauma. Riley, thank you so much for joining me today on Fireside. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I have had uh, children's book authors on who have focused on um, mental health. And a lot of them are trauma survivors themselves and kind of use the knowledge of, you know, their inner child to write these books. But I'm just wondering what steered you in the direction to help children who have experienced trauma? I want it. I uh, know the founding director of Northern Michigan Alliance for Children, which is a child advocacy center in Michigan in a very rural area of Michigan, and they weren't able to serve a lot of the children out there. So they were one of the first centers, they're actually, I believe, the only center in Michigan that was that received funding to get a mobile unit to go out to serve children where they were, instead of having the children come to them at their center, since children weren't able to get to their center. And so Through that, I had written one of the books previously. She had seen the book, um, and that was the Helping Pause book. Mm -hmm. And so we worked together to get a government grant to help serve children, which was for the My Voice Matters, so that we could try and help explain that interview process for children that had experienced abuse and make it a little bit more children-friendly and less scary so that when children did come in, they kind of knew what was going on. I do have a history of abuse and trauma from when I was a child. And so it just kind of reached out. And as we went into the second book, which was more of a therapy-based trauma book, um, a almost the way that we kind of explained it was aftercare book or uh, therapy. We don't want to say that it's a replacement for therapy. It's not that at all. It's um, a support book for anybody or children that have gone through any sort of trauma. We really wanted to just make it accessible in a child-friendly way, but that provided coping skills. And it was a great way to honestly heal some of the stuff I had gone through, but also Mm -hmm. just to make it have so many different types of therapy pieces in it. Um, so having an ABA background or applied behavior analysis background, we made sure that th- we had all of those components in it. So there are some things that really focus on making it changing some of those behaviors to make it have replacement behaviors and be very 
healthy that way, but then also having the therapist from the clinical therapist from NMAC is there. Sorry, that is what I'll use just because it's so much shorter than um, Northern Michigan Alliance for Children, but having their therapist um, and making sure that we worked on the way that they have their coping skills and we applied all of that together. So it's just this whole all around encompassing book to make sure that we had all of that in there for everybody. I really love it. I, I mean, I, I love that they're, the story and then the prompts, you know, like you were saying, this is not a replacement for therapy, but in, let's say, schools that don't have like a a big like curriculum of, you know, emotional regulation or anything like that, because I don't know if most schools do. My daughter, mm-hmm. um, she's actually, she's in a private school, but they do focus on the whole child. And so like identifying your emotions and, and all of that has been really helpful for my daughter. Um, and so do you believe that a book like this and, and even like the prompts would be or should be part of the curriculum to, you know, help children who may be dealing with trauma, because again, like most people, most children, they won't, they won't share if they're dealing with trauma. And so I'm just wondering, like, if they're prompted with these prompts, you know, would more children be forthcoming and revealing any trauma? I wholeheartedly believe so. Uh, One thing that is very misunderstood about ABA in general, and I know this is slightly off your question, and I promise I'll, I'll bring it back, is <laughs> no um, that ABA was created and designed and only targets autism. And that is not true. And so, and there's also a misconception that, and there's a lot of history behind it and, and why this is that, that it is, it causes trauma in general, just going through ABA and, and there's a lot of history behind that as well. And so I, I understand that part that point because there is a history of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the concepts behind that or the kind of behavior modification of that, and they're not the same behavior modification doesn't have a science behind it. The, the components of that I apply to my everyday life um, as well as within this book. And so parts of that where it's identifying, okay, this is the problem, but it's not just a surface thing. It's saying, okay, what works for one child doesn't work for the other, but what is the underlying concern and the issue of mm-hmm. uh, that situation? And not only that, understanding that it's a skill deficit most of the time, or that it's a learned behavior to cope with a situation, and not that it's a problem and that that child is a problem. And that is kind of the underlying fundamental of how. I, as a BCBA, and how a lot of kind of the idea of ABA, um, or at least how I see ABA is, um, and how I approach that with this book. And so that's why I think that that adding that into a curriculum is so important, because it's saying, hey, there's an issue here. But it's not a bad egg, I guess, um, right. it's because there's something else going on. So, for example, I remember there was a, a client I worked with once um, and there was another kid in the class and everybody had marked this kid as being a, you know, quote, bad kid. And I immediately saw that this kid was 
a kid in a giant family and he just didn't get a lot of attention. He didn't get a lot of attention from his family. He was like the middle kid of, mm-hmm. when I say large, I'm saying somewhere around like nine or 10 kids, like mm-hmm. very large family. And, yeah. and so he was, you know, and it, it's hard for me to say these words because like we don't use these words, uh, but like act mm-hmm. and just because it's not super descriptive of like what that means, but just talking out or just being out of his seat a lot. Like, and again, not my client. I'm not, I wouldn't be doing anything with this child, but like I could see these just in the classroom and he was constantly being yelled at, but that was the only attention he was ever getting was mm, kind of yeah. this. And so if you look past the fact that he was deemed a bad kid, it was because he was never getting any sort of attention. And so that in and of itself, when we're looking at that in a classroom setting, or when we're looking at that from a trauma perspective, a kid that's not talking in class, why? What's going on? Well, what's going on? There's a lot of times an underlying reason, and it's not as simple as what we tend to think of. And I say we as adults, um, and we tend to assume because we have experiences. And so something that we did, um, or we as a team, and I'm taking the we away from adults and saying we as a team, um, Mm -hmm. for this book is there were illustrations that came back and I vetoed them immediately. Um, So we (laughs) made sure that not only were the words very specific, but the illustrations were. We wanted the illustrations to teach parents as well as caregivers or teachers or whoever saw this book, how to interact as well through the illustrations. Every interaction in the book is child-led and teaches the interaction as well as demonstrates what we're trying to explain that shows, that connects with the text. So there's this one where it says, when I'm calmed down, like I will talk to, or I can ask for a hug, or I can talk to my adult. It's, it's something along that. And mm-hmm. the original illustration was the parent was leaning forward, reaching for a hug. And I was like, nope. <laughs> Personally, I, the more I looked at it, I was getting like, honestly angry. And I couldn't figure out why it was driving me insane. Like, the more I would look at it, be more flustered and like I wanted to throw the picture across the room, which I couldn't because it was on my laptop. And I couldn't figure out why I was getting so irritated. And like the more I looked at, the more irritated I got. And nobody else had like this drastic reaction to it. And I realized for me it was a trauma response. Mm-hmm. I I when I am irritated and I whether we have anxiety attacks or panic attacks, um, I think everybody gets mad. Um, at some point, I I cannot have physical touch. Everybody's different. You know, sometimes when people are irritated, they can do physical touch or they just want to be held. Mm-hmm. I personally don't. Right. Um, I, I can't have physical touch in any way, shape or form. So what was happening was I kind of put myself in that position and I wanted to push the, the parent away, almost like for the child. And that was why I was getting so irritated looking at this sketch. And so we fixed the whole picture. And I was like, okay. And instead the mm-hmm. child is leaning towards the parent. So we, we flipped it. Mm-hmm. And 
we really wanted to just show that physical touch, everything like that, even for a child with trauma is okay, but it needs to be on the child's terms. Us as adults can't push stuff. But what we tend to do is overcompensate almost. We think, hey, the child is upset. And we, I see this as a therapist or as a BCBA all the time. Well, let me just, I I see the child is screaming. Let me explain why this is wrong. Let me tell you why. Let me, let me almost like yell at you right now, or I'm, I'm mad. So I'm going to yell, or I, I see you're mad. Let me talk to you. And I'm, and the way that I've always explained this to parents is if you got into a fight with somebody, whatever, your, your significant other, your best friend, your whoever, and you just needed to vent, you needed to scream, or maybe you get cut off in traffic or something happens, whatever it is that you just get set off. Maybe your computer died on you and you know, you don't have the money to get a new computer right now. And then somebody comes up to you and it tries to explain to you why you shouldn't be mad. <laughs> How are you going to react in that moment? Yeah. You're just, yeah. You're going to escalate more. <laughs> like, right. It's like when people tell you to calm down when you're angry. <laughs> right. Why do we expect kids to know, like to respond differently? Mm-hmm. Why do we expect kids to have a skill that we as adults don't have? Right. Yeah. And and it goes back to the, when you were talking about like what happened, not necessarily what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. Right. And I guess just being curious, you know, as a parent myself, I, you know, in my healing journey, I, to be honest, I know what I need to do in my head mm-hmm. just based on my own experiences with trauma and my and and what I've learned in my healing journey. But sometimes it is really hard to do mm-hmm. right, right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, <laughs> I've been there. And you and, and but I, what I love is that you teach care you you provide caregiver education as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to hear more about that, like what you were just talking about, because honestly, I need it for myself. Even though I know what to do, what is it that that as parents and as caregivers, when we see our children acting out or we see um, these people, these children who we're caring for acting out, is it just as simple as what do you need or is there so much more we can do? There's so much more to that we can do. One is what is is really listening and and paying attention and just coming from it or coming at it, I guess, from the perspective of understanding. So taking that minute to look at it from the child's perspective. We shouldn't assume anything and really looking at it from that perspective. So I think one of the things that's really hard is we tend to, and I say we, because I'm going to say, honestly, I put myself in that box, (laughs) but that it's almost like we expect children to have these skills that they just don't have. But then as adults, we don't do it for them. I, if that made sense at all, but for ourselves, (laughs) yeah. Like, so for example, we expect them to, for example, like, I'm trying to think of like a good example for that. So 
um, I'm going to completely just disregard what I just said because that did not <laughs> exactly make sense. So uh, the calm down one. So mm-hmm. to calm, we have road rage. And, yes. and why do we expect them to calm down when they're triggered by something, but then we can't calm ourselves down in certain situations? So taking it from that perspective of putting ourselves in their shoes, or if they're being called names, why do they have to walk away if we can't walk away? So really mm-hmm. just taking that perspective of what's the skill that they are missing? Why can't they do whatever it is that they need to do in that moment? What is not why, not telling them what it is that they should have done, but why can't they? What is the skill that they are missing? And really looking for that skill and then teaching them that skill. Don't look at it as a problem behavior, but looking at it from a perspective of what is the skill that they are missing that they need to learn and approaching it from teaching a skill, not as reprimanding a behavior. I think that is like advice uh, I can give or the way that I would approach it as a BCBA. And that is really what it it comes down to. If you can teach the behavior that they are missing or the skill that they are missing, then what's the point of the behavior? Why have a behavior if I have the skill that I need to avoid the behavior in the first place? Right. You know, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say, so for example, um, I have just, I have a service dog. I, uh, that's where Helping Paws comes from. I have a very rare medical condition. Um, one of them, I, my potassium drops, it is, can be very sudden. Um, I go into paralysis. I, it, and this is important for this. Um, I promise like it's not, like that. <laughs> it's not, but what happens is it causes like a sensory issue. Um, I go tingly, like pretty much it feels like if you've ever had like teeth removed or, or cavities or not teeth removed cavities, um, like Novocaine stuff like that, but it mm, pretty much yeah. my entire body has like oh, Novocaine wow. and it can cause me to get very irritated very fast. I can't tolerate um, being touched, but I won't always know that I'm there and then I need potassium very quickly. And so I was getting very, very angry, very, very quickly with my uh, fiance. And so what was happening was I did not like my responses to him. He would come up, but because I had been working on my computer, I didn't realize I was in a state of a abortive attack or pre-paralysis where my body was tingling. I was starting to paralyze and I couldn't tolerate this or tolerate touch. It's almost extremely painful. My body start like my muscles start tensing and I would start yelling almost. I, it was just extremely painful. And so... I realized that my, what my skill that I was missing was, was the ability to effectively communicate that I couldn't be touched in that moment and that Mm -hmm. I needed. And then for him, the skill he was missing was identifying that I wasn't responding to him and that because I wasn't responding, I was having a medical episode. Mm. And so we worked together to come up with a solution to that situation And so now if I don't respond right away, when he's kind of, if he sees I'm working, he'll ask me, like, can I touch you? Like to come up and give me a hug or tap me on the shoulder or anything. 
And if I don't respond within about three seconds, he knows I'm having a medical issue. And I work on saying, even if it's very terse, just having the ability to communicate and saying no. Yeah. And so we've worked on bridging that skill deficit and it's avoided the behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think this is the same thing you can figure out with your own children, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, just looking through your book and the prompts, I was like, this is what I should be doing with my son. <laughs> and this would be extremely effective. And in, in, in one of the pages, what, what was interesting I actually had a a guest on a couple of weeks ago. She's the author of this book, Authentic Power, trying to feel your feelings, basically, allowing yourself to feel your feelings, but having tools to let you get those feelings out instead of Mm -hmm. kind of breaking dishes. But like, you know, ones that are that are set aside for you to be able to do that, you know, just scream into a pillow, punch a pillow. And I noticed in your book that that was one of the the options to offer children is just to scream into a pillow or punch a pillow. And mm-hmm. automatically I was like, I need to get like a little punching bag for kids, my, my children. Yeah. So once you feel like you've gotten all of it out. Absolutely. Uh, I yeah. actually, I will talk to you when you're calm. So it's not, again, it, it's about that replacement and, and setting those boundaries. It's not, I'm not, not talking to you. I'm just not talking to you while you're screaming at me. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk once you're calm. So give them that space, give them that space to feel it, give them that space to calm down. Just come back to me when you, when you're calm. Cool. Hey, (laughs) you started yelling. I'm like, once you're calm, we can continue this conversation. And that means you just sit there or, or you take two steps away or you sit on the other side of the room. I mean, you're not abandoning them. You're not walking, you're not ignoring them. That's actually one of the big things in ABA is ignore the behavior, not the person. So if they're, and obviously not if they're being unsafe, like if they're hurting themselves or others, we're not ignoring that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they're active, they're talking to you calmly, talk to them back. But if they're screaming at you, I don't know what you're saying to me. I'm not going to talk to you right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the punching bags, things like that, they have that aggression. I'd rather you punch a punching bag than punch a wall. Right. I'd rather you punch a pillow or scream at the pillow than scream at me. You, um, I don't know how people feel about cursing, but if you want to curse because you stubbed your toe, that's fine. But don't swear at me. Mm-hmm. But again, it, or, you know, if you need to swear, I'd rather you swear than punch a hole in the wall. But again, that comes down to everybody's boundaries and safety. And that doesn't mean give them more, like, Okay, you can start doing that, but also knowing where some of those boundaries are. And sometimes I've seen where it goes to the extreme. Well, okay, you can't do any of these things. And it's like kids do need that outlet, though, whatever that might be running in the backyard, screaming into a pillow, doing something because they, they need some sort of something, whether it's for me as a kid, it was reading, hiding in my room and reading whatever that might. And actually it would be great to take your book up there to read it, whatever, like, cause that's actually what my daughter does is whenever we have an issue and she's angry, she's, she's, she's pretty good about regulating her emotions. And like I said, it, it it's, it's her school is very good with the taking care of the whole child, emotional, mm-hmm. uh, physical. And she does like to go upstairs and 
and read whenever she's just like, I don't want to talk to you right now. <laughs> and, and I think that's great. And it, I, I, I'm just, I love the prompts in your book. I think that that is just one of the things that I'm just like, I feel like my daughter would do so well and something that I can work with my son. He's, he's four, so he can't really read, but definitely something I'd like to work with him on. I I think it's really interesting because, you know, me, I'm in, I was born in the eighties. I'm a child of the nineties. No one talked about, actually no one talked about trauma like 10 years ago, to be honest. Cause I, I remember um, I was actually misdiagnosed bipolar, but it would happen to be PTSD. And what I realized when I started this podcast was that a lot of Gen Zers are like, are absolutely into talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm just, I was just amazed. I'm like, that is incredible. Because then you can learn those skills much il- earlier than when I did. And I'm thinking, you know, this is great. And, you know, with your book, we're talking to children even younger about trauma and mental health, um, but in a way that they can understand. But I do think there are those people, and, and most of them are like, you know, the older generation who say, you know, maybe we shouldn't have these types of conversations. You know, those are still the people who are just like, if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. What do you say to those people? Just because you don't talk about it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Exactly. I, I tend to be pretty blunt, but make it a little bit more playful, which can go well or not. Uh, and it actually, I, I do tend to be pretty blunt when, when I do talk to people. Um, it's good. Again, just because we don't talk about it, it doesn't mean it's not there. And us working through it now and, and whether we say it's a mental health issue or not, what we're doing is we're teaching skills. We're teaching people how to live through any sort of situation. It's not any different than addition. It's not any different than saying, hi, how are you? And somebody responding good. It's just a different skill. And mental health and going through life is the same thing as knowing how to tie your shoes. They're all skills within a person. And so whether or not we separate them and say it's a whole different skill set and they're completely separate and we don't need to teach them together or you teach them outside of school or not, I should say not that we don't need to teach them. You teach them at home, you don't teach them at school. It's still a skill set that people have to learn. Some people are not taught them and need to learn them later in life. And that's where issues happen, whether they are issues, not with that person, but like that's where issues happen where we have tragedies or we have situations where people maybe can't regulate themselves or there's arguments in a household or with friends or whatever that might be. There's issues with depression or mental health in general. I will say that like, as I started understanding kind of my coping skills or, or whatever that might look like, I mean, I did not know emotions. I did not have any emotional skills um, Mm -hmm. until I hit my twenties and I was not taught them. I was not, I didn't know anything about them. I knew how to feel nothing and how to feel anger pretty much. Um, I taught them to myself my fiance has helped me through a lot of them in the last few years. And this book, honestly, writing this book has helped a lot through some other things. And so 
there it's a skill deficit whether or not we want to think of it that way or not it is it's a skill deficit and whether people think that's important or not is kind of to each their own but it is it's a skill deficit and i guess that's <laughs> that's how i see it like if we think of it as an array of skills that people have it's i mean i'm not a mechanic i have a skill deficit in being a mechanic <laughs> but we all it, have emotions Right. right. Worked on, managed. And I think, yes, that that is a skill that is necessary. And I and I honestly think it's more important than any of the other, like more important than math. Yes, math is important. Reading is important. Yes. But like, how far can you get in school when you can't even regulate your emotions? And then there's the there's these behaviors that kind of hold you back from being successful in school. Um mm -hmm. So I think it's absolutely necessary, and I do think it should be part of the curriculum. Fine. I know that I've seen so many statistics about children and COVID. Do you find that with COVID, you're, there, there are a lot more children experiencing mental health issues? And, and if so, what can we as caregivers do to help? That I will honestly have to say I cannot speak on. Um, mm. That is not my type of therapy. So it is out of my purview. I, as a B and doing ABA, I don't, I wouldn't be seeing those clients that would fall under mental health specifically. Mm. Um, we see behavioral issue mm -hmm. or behavioral problem di diagnoses related to behavioral problems. So it would have to be specifically I'm trying to think of the let's say diagnoses like yeah where we were prescribed by doctors kind of like speech is prescribed mm, or like um OT is yeah so right. then the way life so unless trauma or mental health manifested in a way that was behaviorally affecting day-to-day -day life um which I mean I have been prescribed for pretty much anything and everything that has a diagnosis. And I mean, it, it varies, right? So OCD can be debilitating, autism, speech problems even, because mm. speech, you've had young kids that behaviorally were punching walls, like holes in walls because they weren't able to speak effectively. Um, and so that was the way that they found to be able to communicate was punching others and kicking. And it was extremely dangerous for people around them. Um, and so unless there's a behavioral connection, that's when I am prescribed. So the mental health prescription would go to clinical psychologists, um, you, and licensed. Do you think behavior, I mean, I, I, I do see behavioral issues when people are isolating and, mm -hmm. or, um, but yeah, I, I, absolutely understand that um if, I'm, and i'm curious if children don't have like the support system around them how, how can they succeed in in healing and behavioral behavioral therapy because i know for me you know, as an adult a support system was was key but you mm -hmm. know, as a which is why i didn't get the help until 20 years later mm -hmm. um but what do we do? What do what do children? What can they do if they don't have that support system or that trusted trio that you write about? A lot of it is teaching that skill deficit. So as a BCBA, if I were to come in and let's say there wasn't 
a support system. It's teaching them what is trust. So those were things that I very much put in this book was defining it. So not just saying, hey, this you, you need to make sure you trust people. What is trust? How do I know that this is a trusted person? And making sure mm-hmm. they, and then making sure that it's in their own words and they're able to not just kind of robotically say it back to me, making sure they really know what it is and at a deeper level. And kids very young are able to do this. Um, I think it's misunderstood how young kids can do this and what their understanding level is at different ages. So not, it doesn't have to be so in depth at an academic level, but just saying, okay, what is your, what does trust mean? And as long as they hit the key words, they keep you, you know, the word safe is in it, the word um, no secrets, like those words are in their description back to you. I take it as they know the answer. I don't need them to verbatim give me the answer back. It's They're not robots. And mm-hmm. I want to retain that information. And then it's give me examples of it and non-examples of it. Um, okay, so what if, and answering just kind of random questions that are important to their daily lives. Well, what if this random person came up to you? How would you know if you could trust them or not? And maybe that's a trick question. So maybe that's too complicated for a four-year-old, but that would be a really, okay. So then maybe it's just a surface question of, is this a trusted person or who's your trusted person? And maybe we're not talking about trusted people in this case. Maybe we want to talk about coping skills, right? So what would you do if you're mad? How do you know that you're mad? And so you can just ask very similar kind of all encompassing questions around that. So when you're mad, what are you going to do? And they list out those instructions for you. And so kind of this is at the back. This is that ABA strategy at the back. It's called a behavior skills training model. And it is. It's just listing out the rules first. And at first, if you need to repeat them and they repeat each one after you, and then over time, they should be able to tell you all of those instructions or rules or whatever they are that you guys come up with. And then giving you these in-depth question and answers back to you. And then doing, uh, you guys model it. You you give them examples. So you're like, well, if I came up to you and something um, was like, oh, or somebody came up to me and was like, well, I came to pick you up from school today. And I was like, okay, let me just go with you. Mm-hmm. Is like, that's the way that you're supposed to respond. And it's like, no, but then like, that might be how you do it with a four-year-old with a 10 year old, you're probably going to do something different and you can have them come up or tell them what to do. Or if you have a partner or a family friend, get them involved, like have them ring the doorbell, have them like actually like try stuff and then role play it. Like have, then you're actually going to have them act it out in a very safe environment. And if it's going to be something that's triggering for whatever reason, make sure they know enough, like they have an out, give them a safe word of some sort, like safe scenarios. Tell them, Hey, if you really feel uncomfortable, tell me to stop and make sure hey, we're going to go, you know, the outside. I know that this might be rough for you. Um, if there's a reason why, like you need to stop, you need to walk away, whatever, just tell me and we'll immediately stop. We'll immediately walk away. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just that it's practicing that it's making sure. So, and you always make sure that this is while they're calm, while you guys feel like safe. So that way, when the, it actually happens for whatever reason, they know 
that they're, they know exactly how to do it. So in the heat of that moment, like that, whether it's triggered by a smell, it's some random stranger, it's whatever that scenario might be, they know exactly how to respond because more or less it's muscle memory. Right. And so that's, I mean, that's in this book, but that's little kids can do that. And you can use their language, the language for them. And and it's just practicing it. Um, And I've done it with four-year-olds. I've done it with 17-year-olds. As long as you adapt it for their language level skills, it really does work. Absolutely. And I and I do think that your book and all the prompts do help. I think it, it's also it is a great guide for parents and caregivers to do with their children. So yeah, that that's wonderful. Um, is there anything that you would like to add um, before we go? I don't think so. I feel like I talked so much about like all these different things. <laughs> No, that was great. I do appreciate it. I absolutely appreciate you coming on and, and, you know, sharing your knowledge and also creating this wonderful book, actually multiple books, but I, I, I think they're, they'll be helpful for me and other parents out there. Uh, so thank you again. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I just, I really do hope that this helps other people. We have it coming out in Spanish as well. Um, so the Kindle book will be available in English and Spanish and we made it, it'll be available on, um, Kindle unlimited as well. So we, we really just wanted it to be available to everybody as much as possible, but then we'll, um, also have it available in print for both languages as well. And then we have our hardcover. It's not available in the paperback English, but in the hardcover English and then the paperback Spanish, because we're not doing a hardcover Spanish, the um, end page is of them have a coping skills, the, I can't think of the word right now, but the five senses to calm down is mm. a, I spy on the, for the book. Oh, so I love that. it's kind of fun. We spent a lot of time designing it. Uh, we just officially finalized it the a couple of weeks ago and will be, that'll be out soon. So that one, those two books will ha- be releasing um, August or not August, sorry, April. I, I know my months, I promise. It started with yeah. an a. Um, April 1st, but the fresh paperback is going to be out very soon. So excellent. Next week or two. So well, you can also check out um, Riley's books, other books. Um, right there is the fortune cookie. Uh, and there's also a link right after um, Riley's name. You can click on that and that'll send her to send you to her page. So thanks. And, and if you want to check out her book, check it out right there. Uh, that was Riley Tuggle, children's book author, advocate for service animals and those who experience trauma. And for more on her, again, you can go to that fortune cookie right there, or you can go to my website at tstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. And I believe you'll be um, contributing to April's issue of Authentic Insider Magazine. That you can find on the website. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider Magazine in your inbox monthly. 
Next week, we speak with Zelna Oberholster, an author, life coach, speaker, mother, serial entrepreneur, and community builder with a special interest in the development of young women. Don't miss that show live on Fireside next week, February 17th. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast on Fireside. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. Take care.